Genesis chapter 15. I don't got that got to do it all, I'll tell you what. Genesis chapter 15 this morning. It's already been a sweet morning of worship and celebration of God's goodness. While you're finding Genesis 15, I want you to listen to what Amy Carmichael, a missionary, once said. She said, when we are downhearted or fearful or weak, we're saying to everybody, after all, the Lord can't be absolutely trusted. Let me say that again. When we are downhearted or fearful or weak, we're saying to everybody, after all, the Lord can't be absolutely trusted. It actually boils down to this question, fear or faith? Today, our man Abram, whom we know his name is changed later to Abraham, and we know him better as Abraham, but at this point he's still Abram. Uh, he shows us again that he is flesh and blood, that he's real. He's struggling with fear in his life. He's dealing with fear. He's afraid. You ever been there? You ever struggled with fear? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're fearful and you're not sure what to do or where to turn. I want you to turn your attention to what the Lord says to Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. The Bible says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, I don't know if we were back living in that day, if we had bumped into Abram at this point, if we had if we would have recognized that he was fearful, if we would have seen that he was afraid. But we know the Lord knew that he was afraid. We oftentimes try to hide that from others, but the Lord sees all. The Lord knows all. And the Lord speaks a word to Abram. And he says, the King James has it translated, fear not. In fact, it's the first time we find those words of the Bible together, that phrase, fear not. Praise be to God, it's not the last time we find that phrase. But the question is, what was Abram fearful of? What was he afraid of? Well, notice the opening words of that verse. It says, after these things. What things? Well, if you were with us last week, you know in chapter 14, Abram went and fought with some kings that had carried off his nephew Lot and the people of Sodom. And Abram took his trained servants and his allies. He went and he was victorious. He conquered and brought back his nephew Lot, brought back all these things. And the Bible says that after these things... Oh, and by the way, he gave he didn't take any of the spoils of victory. He, he said, I don't want any of that. So he goes off. He's victorious. He turns away all the spoils that could have been his. And the Bible says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, do not be afraid. Now, what could he be afraid of? Well, let's think about that for a moment. After these things, after the battle. After the turning down the spoils, I think he could be afraid of two things in particular. Number one, the fear of revenge, the fear of revenge. He certainly didn't go and make friends with those that he battled with. Could it be that they would build up their forces and come back and attack Abram and his family? Was Abram constantly looking over his shoulder? Was he having nightmares of them coming in and attacking his family and his own people? The fear of revenge. And then I think there's a second fear he could have been struggling with, and that's the fear of regret. Maybe he was afraid that uh, one day he would regret not taking the spoils of victory. 
Maybe he should have feathered his nest egg a little bit more. Perhaps he should have taken all that money and all that stuff after all because, well, by the laws of of the land and the laws of that day, it was rightfully his. What his resources hold out? Perhaps he was getting out the calculator and doing figuring and saying, was his money going to hold out? Was it going to be enough for his retirement days? Why is it possible that these are the two fears you struggle with? Well, because of what God said to him. Notice what the Lord says. The Lord says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God says, Abram, I'm your shield. I am your reward. In other words, Abram, I'm your protection and I'm your provision. Better yet, I am your protector. I am your provider. Don't fear attack, Abram. I'm your shield. Don't fear doing without Abram. I'm your provider. Hallelujah. Here the Lord says to Abram, I am. I love what Warren Wiersbe said about this. He said, God's I am is perfectly adequate for man's I am not. You know, as I look at myself, I look at my life, I am not so many things. Yet I know the one who is the great I am. The Bible says in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Psalm 84, 11 says for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Abraham here needed to realize that all that he needed was found in the great I am. All that he needed was found in the Lord. You know, as I was studying for this, I ran across some questions that James Montgomery Boyce was writing. And they confronted me. They made me think. I want to give them to you. I them to confront you this morning. He said, are you shielded as Abraham was? Is God your shield? Do you trust him? Many men and women trust other things. They trust the government. We could stop there for a while, because we'll move on. They trust their investments. We could stop there for a while. They trust their friends, family, wealth, or popularity. But these things ultimately disappoint the one who trusts them. If you want a real shield, trust God. I wonder today, friend, where is your trust? Is it in Christ alone? You see, for him to be your shield, for him to be your reward, you must, first of all, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Abram had a relationship with the Lord. It's interesting. In Genesis chapter 15, it's a very important chapter in the Bible. In fact, we have in Genesis chapter 15 what someone has called the John 316 of the Old Testament. We find it in verse number six. Look at it. The Bible says in Genesis fifteen six, and he that is Abram believed in the Lord and he was accounted it to him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham, Abram was saved by grace through faith, just like we are a very important verse of scripture. In fact, it's so important. It's quoted three times the New Testament and further developed. You read about it in Romans chapter 4. You read about it in Galatians chapter 3. You read about it in James chapter 2. 
the fact that Abram, Abraham was saved by grace through faith. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him. The righteousness was imputed to him. And so we realize that the Old Testament saints, let them say, well, how are people saved before Jesus died on the cross and rose again? How did people get saved in the Old Testament? Same way we get saved in the New Testament. Same way we get saved in the church age. By grace through faith. That is, they, of course, were looking forward to the cross. We look back at the cross. But all of us are saved by grace through faith. Abram believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. You see, saving faith in Christ, beloved, is the starting point for the journey of faith. Saving faith in Christ is the starting point for you to have the Lord as your shield and your reward. So I ask you today, do you have the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith totally and completely in him? It's not of works of righteousness, which you can do. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. And so if you've never received Christ, I invite you today to place your faith in him. Here's the awesome thing, beloved. When you look at Genesis 15, we notice how gracious our God is. He deals with Abram personally. He knew that Abram was afraid. He was fearful. He was frightened. And our gracious God comes and he ministers and he speaks to Abram. Now, I believe that Abram, while he may have been struggling with the fear of revenge and the fear of regret, there were some other fears going on as well. And that is, I believe that he was struggling. He was fearful about his family. Why do you say that? Look at verse number two. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me saying I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, I haven't had my own children. And so one of my servants will serve as my heir. Lord, I've not been given a child. Sarai, we know her better as Sarah, but Sarai at this time. Abram's wife was barren. Uh, his heir will be one of their servants. And we note that Abram brings his cares, his concern, his calls to the Lord. He laid it out for us. says, Lord, what will you give me? I go childless. I don't have a child of my own. And I notice that Abram here, he speaks candidly and honestly with the Lord. Why is it, Christian, that we try to beat around the bush with the Lord? Why is it we try to come and be real careful, make sure we don't say, say what's on our heart? Listen, he knows all. Come in honestly and candidly. Yes, reverently. Yes, absolutely. But we come and say, Lord, here are the issues of my life. Here's what's going on. And we come out and honestly cry out to him. That's what Abram did. Lord, what will you give me? I go childless. Now, the Lord has a word for him. Look at verse number four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now think about this. He doesn't have one child even yet. Does not even have his own child. Not even one. God says, listen. Go out and look at the stars and see all the stars. So shall your descendants be. We're dealing here with the Abrahamic covenant. 
in chapter 15. Now, it's given in chapter 12. Go, leave your people to a land and I'll show you. I'll make your name great and so forth. Let me give you a very quick summary of the Abrahamic covenant. That's a totally different study. We're focusing on Abraham's faith, the faith that follows. But real quickly, as Pentecost reminds us, that the, 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 the Abrahamic covenant has three categories to it. First, there were personal promises that God gave to Abram. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Then there were national promises given to this man. I'll make him to a great nation. And finally, there were universal promises given that would come through Abram. You will be a blessing and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed because of you. We know, of course, that one who came through the line of Abram, through the line of Abraham, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are blessed by him. And we know that God says, listen, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. And by the way, did you know that Abram actually has two seeds? He has, of course, a national or a physical seed that is the nation Israel. But he also has a spiritual seed. That is, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're of that spiritual seed of Abraham. Galatians 3.29 says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We used to sing a silly song at Bible camp. In fact, somebody at that camp has a video of me leading this song and they put it on Facebook. You believe that? <laughs> very brief, very short, but they did. You can go watch it. We sing a song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them. And so are you. Let's just praise the Lord. You'd nod your head and then you'd bend your arms and all kinds of stuff. I never understood that song really growing up. What does that mean? Well, I understand it now. Because I am Christ, then I'm part of Abraham's seed, that is the spiritual seed, and I'm an heir according to his promise. Isn't it neat to see how what God's saying to Abram so long ago, thousands of years ago, is impacting you and me today? We're part of Abraham's spiritual seed. Now, Abraham's given these promises, but he doesn't have an heir yet, yet it says he believes God. And then we know he was promised the land. Look at verse number seven. Then he said to him, I am the Lord. Let's back up. Let's pick up at uh, verse number six. And he believed in the Lord. He accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now, notice what Abram said. Again, he's a real man. Flesh and blood. Lord God, how shall I know? That I will inherit it. He, has, he doesn't have it yet, does he? He's a pilgrim. He's in a tent. He's wandering about. He doesn't have an heir, but he believes God's going to give him an heir. God's going to give you a land. He believes God's going to give him a land. But how shall I know? Well, I believe we have here that Abram is, is fearful about his future. He's fearful about his future. How do I know this? And here the Abrahamic covenant, which is given back in chapter 12, is ratified. That is, it's sealed. It's made official. And this is an unconditional, eternal covenant that God has made. Notice that it's sealed by God alone. And I'm going to walk you through these next verses. And at first glance, these seem very strange to us. I'll be honest with you. Let's walk through it real quickly. He just asked the Lord in verse number eight, how shall I know I'm going to inherit the land? Let's look at verse nine. So he, that is God, said to Abram. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle. 
and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. It's get in your mind. He took these animals. He cut them in two, laid them there across one another like these two pews are. So there is a lane. There is an aisle between them, although he did not cut the smaller ones there. And it says in verse number 10. Uh, verse 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So some time is passing here. Verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Let's just stop for a moment. You say, why did he cut open all those animals? Well, back in that day, that is one of the ways they would seal a covenant. They would seal an agreement. They didn't sign a contract. You have two people would come together. They would take these animals and they would walk hand in hand in between those carcasses. Aren't you glad we have contracts today? Uh, but that's one of the ways they did it back then. We could also maybe think about the blood being shed, but that's something else. The main thing here is the fact that this was this covenant, this agreement. It says in verse 13, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Now, what's that all about? Well, you know, if you keep studying the book of Genesis, you have Joseph goes there's the great famine in the land and Joseph brings his family in. Then there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And you have them serving as slaves and they're afflicted there under Pharaoh. And then it says in uh, verse 14, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. So we have the great plagues that God sends there in the book of Exodus to bring them out. Verse 14, afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. You remember, they plundered. The Egyptians, the very last plague, the death of the firstborn, the Passover there. And they're getting these people out and they're plundering them, taking all these riches with them. And of course, those riches were used later to build the tabernacle. Notice how God is laying out for Abram Old Testament history. What we read about later in the Bible, verse 15. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then it says in verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, what's that all about? Well, that would be the great conquest that Joshua leads the people into the promised land to, to conquest and to conquer. And it's interesting to note that God in his mercy and grace gives them all this time until the fourth generation that they might repent, turn from their sin. So we know the conquest that Joshua leads later in the Old Testament is actually God's judging the Amorites, those ungodly people who would not repent, not all of them. And so we have here Old Testament history being laid out. Verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Obviously a picture of the Lord here. The Lord himself. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land for the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the, the Samsonites. The, well, anyway, uh, you, you have all the ites there. And what, what you see going on is God's making a covenant. But did you notice where Abram is? He's sleeping. 
Abraham didn't walk with God through those carcasses. God alone walked through. Why? This is an unconditional covenant. God has sworn this covenant with himself. He will do this. He will keep this. And we have the Abrahamic covenant here. And we see that God lays out for Abraham all these things. By the way, it's often been said that maybe God is so gracious to us in not giving us the future. Because really, if God told us what was coming in our lives, we might be scared to death and unable to function. And when I look at what he told Abram, what's coming? Uh, he says, Abram, you're going to go to, 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 to your uh, fathers in peace. You'll, you're going to die in, in peace. But after that, after that, all this is going to happen. Now, here's the big question today. What does this mean to us? What do we as church age believers, what do we take away from this? I mean, this, this, and we, we're just scratching the surface. We could study this for a long time. But what do we take away from this passage? I think four things in particular. Number one, we're reminded here that we too are saved by grace through faith. We too are saved by grace through faith. Not by works, not by righteousness of our own, but by grace through faith. Number two, we're reminded that Christ is all that we need. He is our reward. Just as the Lord said to Abram, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. We have all that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, we're reminded that we have been given many precious promises ourselves. We've been given many precious promises But number four, I believe it reminds us of this. There is a waiting time, just as there was with Abram. Abram didn't get the land, literally, did he? His descendants, and it it still hasn't been fully fulfilled. It will be one day. But, But part of those promises, yes, he had an heir and he had a son and he has a great nation, but they don't possess the land, not yet. But there's a waiting time. But God will keep his promise. And the same is applicable to us. We've been promised, the Lord Jesus says, what? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you into myself. But, but we're waiting, aren't we? We're not there yet. Wouldn't it be something if one, the moment we trusted Christ, we shot up to heaven? Wouldn't that be awesome? You're standing here, somebody comes down, kneels and prays, and boom, they're gone. But if they did that, then how could they share their faith? How could they lead others to Christ? How could they grow? How could they get to know God? That doesn't happen, does it? We come and we're saved by grace and faith. We're not citizens here. We're pilgrims here. We're just passing through. And we're on a journey of faith. And we have many precious promises. And we know heaven's our home. But there's a waiting time. But God will keep His promises. The Bible says to be absent the bodies to be present with the Lord. I don't know what day that's going to be for me or for you. I don't know if I'll go out suddenly or go out in a, in, a, in a longer period. I don't know what it is, but I know this. God has promised to be absent the bodies, to be present with him, and he will keep his promise. There are many lessons for us as we think about Christ. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with them also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. There's no need to be fearful today. Abram's fearful. He's afraid. And God says, listen, Abram, fear not. I am. Fear not. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And we need not fear today, beloved. We've got to remember that the Lord is for us, not against us. That's a great comfort. Keith Hartzell once wrote that he was with a friend a few years ago in California. And they were driving around the busy streets of L.A. He says, I noticed that his cell phone was locked and had an unusual password, pro-nobis. I asked him what pro-nobis meant and why he chose that for a password. He told me it was Latin and it meant for us. And then suddenly started choking up. Keith said, I thought, why would those two Latin words cause such emotion? Pro nobis. Keith said that his friend composed himself, then explained that after walking through deep personal pain, true healing came when he learned that God is for us. Or the Latin phrase pro nobis. My friend said that after his parents divorce, a season when he assumed that God didn't care or that God had given up on him. He finally found hope through those two simple words when he decided to believe that God was pro nobis, that God had even sent Christ to die for his sin. He could then decide to lay down his life for others. Do you realize today, beloved, that God is pro nobis? God is for us. So I ask today, what will it be for you? Fear? Or faith. I don't know what it is you're struggling with. Abram seemed to be fearful about revenge and regret. Fearful about his family and his future. But he brought those fears to the Lord. And he found the Lord is sufficient. So I want to encourage you this morning as we close this service. To bring your fears to the Lord. Give them to Jesus today. Bring him your past. Bring him your present. Bring him your future. And say, Lord, here it is. I give it all to you. I want to challenge you today to walk in faith and not fear. I want to remind you of 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want you to realize today, beloved, there's no need to fear. Why? Pro nobis. God is for us. The Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? Would you bring your fears to the Lord today? If you need to be saved, would you come today and trust Christ? If you're walking in fear today, would you come and lay them at His feet and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you're for us. I need not fear. I walk in faith. Which will it be for you, fear or faith? Father, We have merely scratched the surface of your greatness and glory. We've not even scratched the surface, Father. We can't even begin to fathom how great you are. 
But Lord, what our puny little minds could grasp today out of this passage, we are awed by your graciousness and your mercy and your love. Father, we were against you. Enemies from you. Yet you in love reached down and by grace through faith made us heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I pray if anybody here today does not know for a certainty that Christ is their Savior. I pray in these next few moments that will be settled for all eternity. And Father, I pray for those that are here today that are struggling with fear. Maybe fear about their own future or their family. Maybe they're struggling with fears from regret, revenge, or whatever it may be. They bring those to you today and give them to you. And leave this place not walking in fear, but in faith. Thank you for that firm foundation which is ours. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning. You might say it's a little bit unusual for a closing hymn, but I think not. 338. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say to you than has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? God says, I'm your shield and your reward. Christ says to you, I'm your refuge. Come. Come to Him today. Let's stand and sing. 338. The altar's open. You come. Thank you.